the surprises ruin now that Christy Berg is here. I'm I'm glad he's here because I'm haunted still by the previous uh, conversation with David Gleave saying that some guy just I assumed I assumed you were going to tighten the knobs on the door. No, I assumed you did. I've always assumed I wasn't supposed to do that. This is how they're making planes. But okay, so to take our minds off that, I'm uh, delighted now to be joined by uh, someone you've been in the music business fifty years this year, Chris. Uh, in that time, you sold fifty million albums and. And I must say, Christopher, your your music was certainly a part of the texture of my youth and and I'd say a lot of people listening. You're very welcome. Thank you. Nice to meet another legend. Chris, um, on that thing of of it being the texture of my youth, there was a time when I was kind of in my younger years where no gathering in Ireland was complete, wasn't there, without someone whipping out a guitar and playing Spanish Train or Don't Play the Ferryman, maybe even Patricia the Stripper. Indeed. Yeah. It, it must feel good to have written those songs that have become such standards that are such a huge part of people's lives, does it? I, yeah, I've been very, very lucky because in the last 50 years I've had a chance to see the world um, performed in something like 130 countries. Um, extraordinary things have happened and to have been part of people's lives. Even this morning I was on my Facebook page and I got a text from a man in Iraq uh, to say that uh, so grateful the Kurdish refugees crisis in 1991, um, I joined up with um, a number of people, including Jeffrey Archer, uh, to uh, do the Simple Truth campaign for the Kurdish refugees who were being hounded up the mountain by um, um, Saddam Hussein. And my song, The Simple Truth, became yeah. the thing behind. But to actually help people, um, it's an extraordinary thing. I think. All I want on the gravestone is uh, he made people happy. And that's really what I, I'm 50 years. This year, for example, I'll be doing solo tours. Um, next year, by the way, in Ireland in March. We have some dates have been confirmed. But uh, I still do about 50, maybe 50 to 80 concerts around the world. And, do you uh, sometimes feel, are you more beloved around the world than uh, the prophet in his own home and all that kind of thing? Have you always been appreciated fully in Ireland? Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. No. You know, I, I like to live quietly here. Yeah. But yes, I suppose abroad. But you see, the thing is, the only reason you can really survive 50 years or any time in the business is because if you have fans out there who want to see you, want to hear you, and luckily that's still happening for me um, in many, many countries around the world. And Ireland has got a very special place in my heart because this is obviously where I live, where I grew up. Um, prior to that was in Argentina and Africa. But uh, Ireland is very important. I think it's a very special country. Um, it does trouble me that very much the refugee crisis that's going on at the moment. Uh, we're actually hosting, f- uh, I think, five people from Ukraine. and uh, in, in, to, your, in, uh, in your house? Uh, in an apartment that I have close okay. to here. And... The thing is, we are a diaspora of people who've gone around the world uh, as, uh, you know, immigration has been huge. Um, anyway, that's that's one thing. But one great thing about traveling around the world is extraordinary things that happen. I was actually making a note to myself, laughing out loud. There was one time, I've been to South Africa a lot to do concerts, and um, I was invited to do a show in the bush, in the Highveld, um, outside Johannesburg, about two hours flight. And it was... Uh, in a place called Thorny Bush, which is a game reserve. And they built a stage um, out you know, in the bush, and it was knocked down in the night by elephants. They, they came and it was nudging it and <laughs> knocked it down. So we had to, the next night, they had to put guys with fires all the way around the stage. 
you know, extraordinary things like I, I could go on for hours yeah. telling you about these things. What, but, a, what a great life music has given you, yeah. And and what, so today you've chosen some songs for us that have meant something to you th- throughout your life. Just before we get to the first one, so you mentioned Ireland is where you live, but you had a kind of an unusual childhood, I guess. Born in Argentina, but the family travelled a lot. You were off a boarding school for a time. What kind of music were you being exposed to as a kid growing up? Very little in my own home. Really? Very little. Um, my parents weren't, weren't particularly interested in music, so it wasn't until till I went to England to Marlborough College um, because basically my mother had been left a gratuity from an aged aunt. Um, and my grandfather, who, who actually quite funny, he was a small guy like me, and when he left Marlborough in the late 1800s, he was told by his headmaster that he was too stupid to go into the army. Um, so he avoided it. And then he, he went into the Boer War, he fought in that, uh, four years in the trenches. And he rose to become a full general and in charge of 600,000 men in, uh, in India, chief of the general staff. And he was the man actually responsible for putting me on the road that I'm on right now because we hadn't got any money and we were in, living in Africa. And he bought this old castle down in the southeast of Ireland with a farm attached. And I remember moving in in December 1960, I think it was. Um, there was no heat, no light, no water, no furniture, and we slept on the floor. It was rugged, that was for sure. And if you wanted water, you had to pump for half an hour downstairs and get a bucket full. But for a young boy, it was thrilling. And in the, um, the summers, subsequently, after we turned it into a small hotel, I would be the guy singing for the guests. And uh, I learned a huge amount. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of living room concerts. P- playing, incidentally, playing for 12 people is much harder than playing for 120,000, which I've done on occasion. Imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when did you realise that, that you had music in you and that music was going to be your life? It's funny, like, be, growing up in a house where there wasn't much music. Yeah, I think it was when I went to uh, Marlborough. Everybody had a band. The Beatles were exploding. And in fact, the, the first track I've chosen is relevant because yeah. um, at the weekends we were allowed to go down to the main street, which is one of the biggest um, market streets in UK. And um, there was a record shop. And those were the days you would not remember, Brendan, just a young squid of a lad. Um, you could actually ask to hear a record. You went into a booth and they played yeah. it. And the first one was on the CBS, that gold, uh, this sort of red record label, I think it's sort of orange right and it was um, Mr. Tambourine Man by the Birds and I never forget the feeling actually my knees went trembly when I heard the bass line going and I thought it's so simple to do but I just didn't know anybody could do anything like that and subsequently years later I met the lead singer who introduced me to Bob Dylan in a bar in London and uh, of course I went into bits on the floor when I saw and Bob Dylan said to me, he turned around, he said, hey, I have your album in my car in Minnesota, in, in, at which I actually went into a blob on the floor and we, we drank gin and tonics for the next couple of hours. But and what, the, if we, I'm fascinated, these two titans are from very different kind of uh, styles of music. What did you talk about? I have no idea, Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, meeting your heroes is something quite extraordinary. And during our conversation, I'll tell you about a couple of others that I've met. But um, yeah, this, this particular song, was the first one I ever bought, and uh, it still resonates with me very strongly, Mr. Tambourine Man. Okay, let's have a listen, Mr. Tambourine Man, The Birds. Mm-hmm. 
there listening to it you're singing along and you're air guitaring and everything what, yeah. what, what does it do for you well you know as, as a singer what I try to do is get into the song um, not just sing it blandly the words written on a piece of paper but I'm in the song and there I was actually remembering the first time I heard it you know I could actually visualise the booth I listened to it in and uh, subsequently um, I didn't actually record that song on an album called Footsteps but I did Turn 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 also by the birds and I just get in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is that, is that when you're kind of, is that when you transcend in music, yeah? Is that when you feel kind of magical and above the banal and everything? <laughs> well, I, this may be strange to you, but I actually don't spend my days sort of making music or thinking about it, although currently, because I have an album coming out this year called uh, 50, um, which is one track f- which I've chosen from every single album I've made, 22 studio albums, and uh, I'm writing three new songs at the moment. And so I d- my wife, Diane, says to me that she knows when I'm thinking about writing a song because my head sort of, you can talk to me and I'm not really thinking. But yeah. uh, I've written more than 300 songs now and I know the process. But outside What's of What's the that, process? Do they come easily? No. I mean, I'll give you uh, sometimes... A good example is The Lady in Red because people ask, how long did it take to write? And I say, 15 minutes and six months because getting the <laughs> polish on it. I, I came across this line, I've never seen you looking so... Lo-. And at the time I was writing for an album called Into the Light and we were playing football stadiums all over Europe, my band and myself. And I had to write a quiet song. I, one of them was called For Rosanna because she'd just been born. And uh, I just started playing this line... I've never, and to actually polish When you the say song, you came across it, it, it just, became. I thought the word never was very interesting. Sometimes, I don't know if this happens to other people, creative people, but sometimes there's a, a kind of a wall goes down or a door opens and stuff gushes out. I've written many songs where the idea I want to present comes, you know, I, I look very carefully at the idea, but other times this sort of river of stuff comes, and sometimes I can come up with an entire half a lyric and the melody in just out of nowhere. So <laughs> it is a bit odd. Like you're looking very. Yeah. <laughs> and the word yeah. never. Well, that that struck me because the, this is clearly about a couple who have been together for a while, and uh, it's actually romantic because the man has um, clearly not been looking at his wife, and he's been saying to her, "Look, I'm sorry, I've been working too hard." Um, it's because he's seen her many times before, but this occasion, he looks across the room and she's looking gorgeous. Mm. Your next choice is uh, Let It Be by The Beatles. Does, does this bring us back to the uh, living room concerts in the in the castle? It's the first song I learned to play on the, on the piano. I taught myself the guitar and I figured that if you could play the guitar, you could you know, put one finger on the, the, the C, which then translate to the C on the piano. So I taught myself that way. And it's the white notes as well. And anybody wanting to learn the piano, just stick to the white notes because it's it's the black, the, the, the sharps and the flats are yeah. confusing. Um, and again, I, I was at um, the X Factor final some years ago with Rosanna and um, Paul McCartney was in the backstage area. And I mean, this is a total hero of mine. And he looked over at me and waved. And I thought, I'd almost look behind me, you know, yeah. one of those things. 
And I walked over and he said, his, again, his words were immortal. He said, for me, he said, I feel as if I've always known you, but we've never met. Upon which I go into a kind of blob on the floor again. Wow. I mean, that was quite something from Paul McCartney. And we had a very amiable conversation for quite a while. But this song is another one I've actually recorded myself on a Footsteps album. And it, it took me a long time to understand and realise it was actually about his mother because he'd lost his mother at a young age. And I think it's an absolutely gorgeous song. Simplicity is the hardest thing, Brendan, to achieve in a song, believe me. The more you know about music, the more you want to throw in the flat, flattened fifths and the whatevers. Um, But even on the rundown, the piano rundown, he throws in a B-flat. It's quite clever and it takes you by surprise. But this is Let It Be. Yeah, the Beatles. But equally, it's a song that feels like it's always been there and we've always known it too, that he just found it somewhere. Let it be by the Beatles. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer. Let it be. See there, Chris, you're, you're feeling all the dynamics of it as well, the drums and everything. So it's as, it's as important how you put the production of a song together and everything as the song itself. Very much so. I mean, that song, I actually got a little emotional listening to it because um, it means a lot to me, takes me back so many years. Um, and I still perform it occasionally in concerts, you know, just to get people singing along. Um, but... The production of an album is something I've been very much involved with as co-producer for just about all my albums. Um, and getting it right, uh, again, going back to the simplicity thing, um, that is what people remember. And McCartney is, is probably the most gifted musician in the Beatles. Um, and he just managed to come up with it. You know, like, the long and winding road. Listen, I could tell you lots of stories about that kind of stuff and on and on and on. Maybe one day you should do a program about how songs were written and... and Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I would love to do such a show, actually. Um, Africa by Toto is your next choice. And is it as obvious as that this speaks to you in a special way, Uh, having been grown up a bit in Africa? You literally felt the rains down in Africa, yeah? Oh, Yes. In fact, I was speaking to my mum. Hi, mum. <laughs> She's 97 and living in Wexford still um, in the castle. Good morning, mother. Um, and she, we were speaking the day before yesterday. Had I remembered a time we went to check into a hotel up, up, up again, way up in the north of Nigeria. And the hotel was full where the booking was lost or something. So we had to sleep on the floor in a kind of a boma. And it was raining. And if you've never heard rain like this before I can tell you the rain coming down on those huge leaves on an African rainforest um, there's a band called Ozibisa who started one of their albums with this rainforest sound it's an extraordinarily powerful noise so is Africa is part of you yeah I, I, being brought up there I remember going down to the um, 
the village square and they were, you know, when they're having a marketplace. And the ladies dressed in incredibly colourful dresses. And when you were that age, you didn't notice the difference between black and white. I played football with black lads and all that and enjoyed it very much. But this song is the first time I heard it. We were playing a um, big football stadium. Oh, God, I can't remember somewhere, Frankfurt or somewhere. And uh, we were expecting 50,000 that night. And my sound man put on Africa as just to ch check the system because you get so many people, you have to put two... You have to have a delay tower because they, they uh, measure the distance between the two speaker systems okay, yeah. and, f and make sure that the lights then coordinate with the people who are listening behind. And they put Africa on. I went, whoa, that is, it speaks to me. And again, it's a song I recorded. Um, I met the, the lead singer who was actually very complimentary about my version. And uh, it's it just reminds me of being in South Africa and in Nigeria and the Congo where I lived. And again, when the ANC moved into power, I was asked by Nelson Mandela to write a song sort of covering the Rainbow Nation. So I wrote the song called Riding on a Rainbow. Um, and I, I have a picture at home of me with a full orchestra and 80-piece Zulu choir, all dressed in traditional garb, um, singing the song for the national television station. But Africa, they say once it's in your blood, it kind of remains there, yeah. Okay, here's Tojo, Africa. The wild dogs cry out in the night As they grow restless longing for some solitary company I know that I must do what's right Sure as Kilimanjaro rises like Olympus above the Serengeti What's deep inside Frightened of this thing that I've become Gonna take the light to drag me away from you There's nothing that a hundred men or more could ever do I guess the rain's down in Africa That's uh, Africa by Toto and I can report that uh, Christopher's uh, falsetto is still in rude working oh, yes. order. Yeah, the rain's down in Africa. Actually, I'm very fortunate because my voice is still in very good shape. I can hit high notes that most people, even dogs can't hear. Yeah, so the years aren't um, aren't diminishing the, Not at the, all. the pipes. Um, did you name Rosanna after Toto's other song, Rosanna? It was out around the, the I, time she was born, was it? I think we liked the song. Diane and I liked the song very much. And uh, we loved the name. And, of course, she is a remarkable young woman. She's dancing in with the stars uh, tomorrow night again, I believe. Yeah. Are you um, avidly watching? I wouldn't say avidly, but I'm watching. <laughs> Why not avidly? But you, you, you should go into this thing. A lot of RTE presenters have done very well in this particular program. I are, are, you, you, are you suggesting that there's some I, kind I, of no, fix going on here, no, Christopher? No, 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 no. You should do it. I, oh, I couldn't do that. No. no, no. What I mean is, you should dance the light, step the light. Fantastic. No, no. But no she is a remarkable young woman because she loves a challenge and having those three toddlers at home. Um, plus, you know, they wake up at like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and then she took really? on this thing. Oh, yes, an extraordinary. Yeah, and she, yeah. during the time she wrote three books, including um, uh, uh, Dreams, Dreams Come True, 
about her journey to motherhood, which was, I'm sure most people know it. Yeah. Um, but to go it's in for this thing. Is, a very difficult and long journey, but such grit and yeah. determination and everything. Yeah, yeah she's remarkable. And uh, I, I hope that uh, she went into the Dancing with the Stars because she wanted to learn a new skill. I'm quite sure, you know, there was no other reason. Just winning isn't everything. I think it's, it's the part. Just participating is the important so, thing. So, are you minding the three uh, three kids under four? I am not. Where's no? <laughs> <Wes> is? <laughs> okay. We, we do. Are you hands on, Granddad? Oh yeah, I I love those little ones here. Like the gorgeous little things. They went for a haircut today, which they needed, and they look so handsome, young lads. <laughs> Okay, but I, I can tell you, you saw a picture of them getting your haircut. You weren't the one bringing them. No, no, no. I'm no, guessing. No, no, okay, no, no. I okay. was coming here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Keep busy. That's that's the that's the trick if you're a grandparent, so you don't get roped into it. Um, uh, so uh, you, R- Rosanna, had her own journey. You and Diane had had a long journey to having kids as well, didn't she? Yes, we were very fortunate. Um, I won't go into it here because I don't think there's time, but uh, we were told at the end of this long journey that we would have a 5% chance of having children. And uh, suddenly, Rosanna was born. Excuse me. I get very emotional thinking about it. And then, of course, when she won Miss World, this is just, I mean, astonishing. Yeah. Um, But a lot of people out there, until Rosie started talking about miscarriages it was something that you just didn't talk about but a, a huge number of women have been hugely helped um by it's not like it's not like ordering a taxi you know i want to get pregnant let's have a baby it's a, a lot of people have gone through a lot of trouble and let's not forget the dads in this as well because they go through the trauma as well you know um yeah but we're yeah. very fortunate we have two lovely boys as well hubie and michael and uh you know that's good the good fortune was smiling on us you're very proud of your kids, are you? Yeah, enormously. Yeah. Yeah. The, the boys are wonderful. Hubie is a very talented musician, electronic. They both live in London. Until recently, Michael was working uh, nine years with Liverpool Football Club, and he's looking for new challenges now. And uh, we're just, you know, I actually I feel a very fortunate person. That doesn't mean that I haven't been through bad times, because there's just one of me. There's only one Christoberg. I write all the songs, all the lyrics, all the music, uh, I do all the interviews, all the television, all the concerts and so on. Nearly 4,000 concerts around the world now. And uh, But I'm the engine that keeps me going. But to be supported by great friends and good family is so in, in, very important. But you linked the bad times to the fact that it's just you. Is, is, is it hard at times be, being on your own in the, in the music project? Yeah? It, it has been down the years. Things are not quite so bad now. Like in, when? When was it? Oh, when, starting. You know, when you want a bit of a, a leg up at the beginning and a bit of a help, just somebody saying you're doing something right. Like my first album, Far Beyond This Castle Wars, had a major smash in South America. Um, and when I came home, I thought, right, I'm now a world star. And of course, that doesn't happen like that. You just, I always regarded the world as a, a like a bunch of fields that you have to work so hard at. And I have worked incredibly hard. Um, you know, it's it's a tough, tough business. And things that go wrong, as they have. People often ask me, or not often, but occasionally, what is the secret of success? Well, let me tell you, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Brenton. The secret of success is to know how to fail and accept it and come back from failure. Um, and jump up again. I, I often felt like a boxer being whacked 
and getting up from the ring bloodied and going again. There weren't too many times I thought I'd give up. There were a couple, I suppose, but I kept going. Okay. Tell us about this next piece in music. Uh, is it Coral, Coral del Sud? Coral. This is from Argentina, where you were born. Yes. This is a piece of music written by Ariel Ramirez, Ramirez uh, an Argentine um, musician. And you were talking earlier about um, the impact of church and state together. I am one of those people who totally disagree that there should be any contact between church and state. And an example of that is I was the first person uh, by the Iranian um, council to be given permission to perform there. I went there and I was told that I could probably perform to a million people in Tehran in the football stadium. But that is an example of church and state and I've written several songs uh, supporting Iranian people and I get a lot of them coming to my concerts around the world. That that should never, I mean, one is f belief and faith and the other is fact. Um, so Ramirez was given, uh, the first time the Vatican allowed people to do mass in a different languages, so he created this thing called Creole Mass, People's Mass. And I love it because it's it's just ordinary music, musicians. This is actually an amateur production um, from Venado Tuerto, where I was born. Uh, and uh, just by complete coincidence, last night, our doorbell in Dorky rang, and a lady who lived and worked in the estancia next door to where I was born and, and brought up, just turned up on the doorstep, and we had great reminiscences about that. But this piece of music really appeals to me because I'm quite sure during my first two, three, four years, speaking perfect Spanish, by the way, well, when I could speak, hola, que tal, um, this music must have gone into my bones because this really, really speaks to me, this stuff. Okay, so introduce it for us. This is called Corral del Sud, and it's part of the um, uh, Misa Criola by Ariel Ramirez, and it became world hit, actually, this music. Okay. Obrigado. Coral del Sud from uh, Argentina. Um, your final choice, I've run on a bit long here, sorry Chris, but uh, I think people, there's lots and lots of texts from me and I think people would listen to you uh, all day. Your final choice is uh, Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. And th this song seems to mean a lot to people in terms of their relationships with their fathers de yep. dead and alive. Absolutely. I was driving in my car and I heard it the first time and I had to stop because I was crying. It really impacted on me, and it, I've heard that from a lot of people. Was your father alive? My father was alive. I had a difficult um, relationship with him, and I think partly because going to boarding school is just not a good idea for, for I, some children, I suppose, but I was sent off to be a soldier of the Empire and uh, the British Empire. It just didn't sit with me. And going home to a different um, discipline from school for two weeks and then off again, 
it was difficult, and he had a tough time. He, he uh, spent four years behind the lines in Burma fighting with SOE, and, and I think those years left a, a nightmarish impact on him. Uh, but one day, and I remember him so clearly, he was sitting outside and wearing his traditional red um, jumper, and he was having sneaking a cigarette. <laughs> and it, believe it or not, it was one of the hardest things I've done, but I walked up to him and I said, Dad, I love you. And it was uh, quite the moment. And when I sing, I mean, this is twice now during the short interview that I've got emotional, but that's because if you want to convey emotion, you have to feel it yourself. That's yeah. the only way you can do it. Are you very emo Is it close to the surface w with you a lot as an artist? Yeah, you're sensitive and emotional. No, not necessarily, but it's because I have a very strong visual imagination. And I, I also recorded this song on my Footsteps album, and I had to stop. Uh, the first vocalization because I was visualizing that moment and my throat yeah. got constricted. But you have to feel the emotion. And one great thing about this song was the people involved with it. Mike Rutherford, I know him. Uh, I met, obviously, um, uh, the guys from Genesis. Um, Peter Gabriel, I just recorded two albums, actually, in his studio in, in Bath. Um, fr friend of mine, Mike Rutherford. And Pete Van Hook, the drummer, he was the guy who came in and the, the drumming on Lady in Red um, and the wonderful, wonderful singer Paul Carrick. Uh, I mean, this is a remarkable song. Did your uh, father um, understand you in the end and was he proud of you? Yeah, very proud. And when I did that huge run in the RDS, um, I think we did 12 or 10 or 12 shows in a row um, back in the, in the mid to late 80s. He came up to loads of them and he was very proud of his son. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that I did say, in the living years, it says, I wish I could have told him in the living years, I, I actually did. You did. And it makes you me, did. so anybody out there with, with a father that you're having difficulty with, you know, just go out there, take your courage in your hands, take a deep breath and put him in your arms because this man looked after you when you were a baby. Okay. Christa Berg, thank you so much. Uh, a text here, what a charming, lovely, open and talented man Chris is. And thank you so much for being so uh, so open today. And look, there are there are loads of texts. Your, your you. fan base is alive and kicking <laughs> out there and delighted to hear you and looking That's forward good. to seeing you live again. So a new album this year? That's right. Uh, uh, and then, I'll be doing lots of touring around Europe this year. And then we've just yesterday, I got confirmation there could be dates in March in Dublin, um, Wexford and Cork in March next next year. Okay. Christopher, thank you so much. I'm going to go out now on Mike and the Mechanics and the Living Years.